0: It was just, how much do I share? How much do I put together? How many know this was a very unique year? Amen. We know this for a fact. But spiritually, it was a very unique year as well. So today, I want to talk about forgetting the past and reaching to the future. Let's say that together. Forgetting the past and reaching to the future. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. What I would like to do is read this passage that the Lord has put on my heart in its entirety. And then I would like to go through some of the things that I think we can share together as we look back at the year 2020. Uh, I just, first of all, want to say thank you to this congregation, to you, to those of you who have been faithful, who have been givers, who have been servants of the Lord. Thank you so much. You watched so much happen this year, but you remain faithful to the Lord. And I pray that the Lord has blessed you. I pray that the Lord has has kept you, that you've seen his faithfulness in your life and that you've uh, come out of this better for it. How many would say you've come out better for what you've gone through this year? Amen. How many would say you've gotten double for your trouble? Amen. And if you haven't got it yet in this year, you're going to receive that harvest in 2021. Whatever we've left and, and have lost, we're going to receive multiplied back to us. I believe that. I really do. What I would like to do is read this passage, though, because first and foremost, when I stand here on this pulpit of about six inches, all six inches of this pulpit, when I go from here just a normal person, to hear Superman. No, I'm kidding. But when I go from here to representing the congregation in the word of the Lord, as your shepherd, as the senior leader here, I want to let you know that I take that responsibility serious that my first and foremost obligation is to you and your Christian walk. It's not to the mayor to be a a, a prophetic voice to her. I think that comes second. It's not to uh, be sassy to in churches and Christians on Facebook and cause a bunch of commotion, though I do get a little bit of enjoyment out of that. My first and primary goal is not to be a prophetic voice to, a, to, a, to the city or even an apostolic uh, church planter and continuing on to see these churches planted as, we were, as, as Juan was testifying that this has come out of crisis. Just like in the Bible, sometimes they were scattered and had to go plant churches. That's how this happened. But first and foremost, I am a shepherd. I am a shepherd to this congregation, to these people. Now, first of all, uh, I'm obviously to that, to my family first and foremost, but in the ministry sense, to the people who consider this their church, I am your shepherd, and I am honored by that as we both serve, as we all serve the great shepherd, Jesus. So I don't think of myself any greater than you. I have to fight temptation like you, and uh, I have to remain faithful in prayer like you, all of those things. So please continue to pray for me. I cherish your prayers. I cherish your love and your support. I can say this that I have lacked nothing good this past year from all of the prayers and all of the kind words and well wishes, I've never felt alone. I'll I'll never be a pastor sitting on some counselor's couch going, I was abandoned by my church. I was bitten by the sheep. You know, I'll never be that. I can never do that. I've always looked at my wife and I've always told her, I do not have an excuse to ever leave this family. You have been the greatest wife and my kids have been amazing. There is no excuse that I could use to turn against this family, and it would all obviously be the devil for any reason, but but in my heart, I know that all things that I desire is found in that home, and the same thing in this church. I don't desire a bigger stage with different people. If we get a bigger stage, I want the same people there. I don't want to trade you in for a different location. Does that make sense? I don't want to go search for something uh, of numbers or of uh, building budgets and things like that, salaries, conferences, whatever, that doesn't involve you and this congregation coming with me. So if we're going to build a church together, let's let's stick together. Amen? Amen? And I'm here till death do us part. Now, praise God, we do have a place now in Dallas to go preach. I might be finding my way there during the months of January and February, <laughs> you know, half kid, but, but I'm not leaving Chicago. The Lord won't let me do that. The Lord won't let me. Trust me, I have tried at different times, and the Lord will not let me do that, so it's not happening. And, in, and if I did ever have a stint somewhere else, because I know they want me to come down and spend more time there and different things, it's still going to be my home is in Chicago, Okay. So hold me to that word. Hold me to that. Because I truly believe that a man at my age has to know what God has called him to do. And this is what I believe God has called me to do. I can visit. I can travel. I can do those things. I believe my children will be missionaries around the world. I'll, I'll, we'll have churches around the world. I'll be busy in that way. But Chicago and what we've put up here, this is what I've given my life to. Amen? And if I die, I die here. You can bury me, you know, somewhere in Chicago and say this is what this man gave his life for. Amen? So that's, that, that's the calling on my life. That doesn't have to be your calling. So I want to read this passage because uh, this is my heart in Scripture for you and for what we have gone through. And then I want to make it practical, and I think, you know, Paul is speaking to so many situations here. But this is how I see our situation today. Through much prayer, I would like to read this to you. As you can see, it's going to be... Uh, a little bit over a chapter worth of reading, but if you would be patient and, and hear it as inspired scripture as it is, of course, but also from my heart to yours, I, I think we can be encouraged today. Amen? Amen. Starting in uh, verse 7 of chapter 3. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection in participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Amen. Amen. I mean, that should be all of our hearts. Amen. Oh, it's so powerful. Not that I have already obtained all of this. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. So thankful for Paul being inspired to write the words that sometimes our heart doesn't know how to express. Amen. I said I wouldn't interrupt it, but I just have to add those comments. I'm so thankful for these scriptures. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before, And now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Thank you, Jesus. Therefore, my brothers and sisters... You whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Judea and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Can we hear an amen for God's word today? Woo, that's powerful. That is so powerful that we can look back almost 2,000 years into the life of these apostles and these disciples and find our hearts being expressed, find our lifestyle being lived. These are our ancestors. These are our gente. This is my people, y'all, right there in the Scriptures. We're not the first generation to go through challenging times. If you were to look at Paul's life, it would resemble a lot of what we're going through today. He was being persecuted by the culture that he was living in. He was also being persecuted by the religious people of his time. And in his own churches, there was divisions. Two women fighting with each other, and he's having to settle that issue. He's like, come on, can't you get it together? The Romans hate us. The Jews hate us. Why are you hating each other? Just get along and get the job done and yet he has such great depth of love for them because he knows that they're on the right path. People have oftentimes criticized me as a pastor because we wear our church on our sleeve. We don't keep things hidden here. We keep things out in the open, and we preach on those things. And oftentimes people go, man, it's crazy at your church. And I'm like, have you ever heard about Paul's churches? Have you ever heard about Corinth? Have you ever heard about the Philippians? Have you ever heard about Judea and Cynthia? I mean, have you ever read the scriptures? If Jesus had a Judas, we're going to have a Judas. If, if Paul had two women fighting in the church, we're going to have women fighting in the church. If Paul had people backslide, and then he calls them out and says their gods became their belly, their own appetites, their carnal desires, which lead them, leads them, we're going to have backsliders. If Paul had good friends leave him, we're going to have good friends leave us. And it's, it's not narcissistic to look at the scriptures at this time and say these are the times we're living in. That is not me centered. That is reality. They were there written for us, uh, for our benefit so that we would not feel alone. That we wouldn't put them on such a pedestal and go, well, you know, we'll never relate to that. We'll never relate to it. No, we're supposed to read this and relate to it. We're supposed to read this and go, Paul, like as a shepherd here, I'm supposed to read this and go, Paul, I know what you're feeling there. I get that, Paul. I get so much of what you're saying in that. I, I have felt that. I feel love for what God is doing in the congregation, but I also feel grieved for the backslider. And I haven't forgot about them, you know? And I also care about what happens in the attitudes and lives of the church. And at the same time, I want them to continue to go forward and not get stuck. I know that you can experience those same things because many of you are leaders to your family, your communities and ministries here, and you know what it's like to be Paul in this generation. And what I would like to do is just go over, if we go to the introduction, just a reminder of some of the things that we went through this year, starting with the fear of a pandemic. Did it ever really become what they considered it to be? No, I don't think so. I think it was blown out of proportion. But we had to deal with that. Then we had to deal with that. You know, one slap came quickly, and then the backhand was overreach of the local government. Within one moment, we're like, okay, I don't want anybody to die, but hold on, I don't want to lose my rights either. Why are you making me choose? You know, like, do you want to be healthy or rich? What do I say back to that? Both. But if I have to choose, what are the? I would like to be healthy, but, but, but you see, like, do you want to die or do you want to have your freedom? You know, do you want to, uh, uh, do you want to be healthy or have your freedom? I would like to have both, but then they, they try to make us choose. Well, if you want your, if you want to be healthy, you got to lose your freedoms. Uh, the next thing that we saw was the crushing consequences of closing down parts of our economy. Immediately, people started losing jobs and and layoffs and all of those things began to follow as these decisions were made in local governments. We then saw the oppression of Christians because Christians have always been the kind of people that stand against oppressors. That's what we do. We stand against oppressors. Christians aren't the ones to go along with oppression. What do you think we are? or Who do you think we are? We're Christ followers, amen? We don't go with the flow, and but we've been lulled to sleep, lullaby to sleep, and so many Christians think that's their job is just to go along with everything. No, you're supposed to stand in the face of oppression. You're supposed to be on the front lines. You are the front line of God. The church is the front line of all justice matters, of all issues of society. The church is on the front line. We then saw the demonizing of law enforcement, conservatives, and dissenting doctors, I have never seen more people judged wrongly while making, the, while making the, the proclamation against wrong judgments, you know? I have never seen more people stereotyped uh, by people who are saying, don't stereotype. Does everybody get that? There, there is a police officer that lost his mind and for eight minutes kneeled on somebody. We get that was wrong. But then, they, because he stereotyped, you know, black criminals, I guess, right? That was the accusation. But then, out of that, people stereotyped an entire movement of police officers, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of police officers, demonizing them, all of them. Like, we're going to demonize them because they've demonized us, in other words. An eye for an eye mentality. And then we saw conservatives, just people who go, I I don't go along with that. I, I'm against injustice, but I'm not against, I mean, I'm against injustice, but I'm not da- down. For burning up our cities. We were demonized for that. We were demonized for voting for a conservative president. Then doctors, I have never, have you ever seen this before? Where doctors are demonized because of science. <laughs> they were demonized because of science. Still to this day, there is, there is fights going on in all of those organizations, even in the, the World Health Organization. Like I've taught you about Dr. John Iona still works for them, still publishing his paper, still against the mass, still against needing vaccines, still against shutting down his countries. And he's still working for them, but yet he was demonized. Others were demonized. And all they were simply saying is, we'll probably do better in the long run with herd immunity. Let's not have to rush out a vaccine. Let's not force it upon people. Let's let herd immunity have its course through protecting those who are most at need. We then saw the indoctrination and forced conversion to socialism. Have you ever seen that in America? I've never seen that. There were people with the emblems of socialism going to American citizens, screaming in their face for them to comply to their socialist verbiage. I have just met another woman whose family comes from Cuba, because I've heard this from multiple cultures, and they all say it is exactly what it was like where they lived. The sister that I was talking to, her family was jailed in Cuba. Her father had to literally swim from Cuba to Guantanamo Bay. And when they saw what was going down in America, they looked at their daughter and they said, this is the start of a socialist revolution. This is exactly what it looks like. When I sat down with the pastor from Romania who himself had been beaten and put into Romanian jails, we stood with him during that time and we still are with them. He looked right at me and he said, this is not, because I said to him, is, is this the beginning of something? He says, this is not the beginning. This is the full frontal attack of socialism on a nation. This is what it looks like. There is not another way to do it more than the way they're doing it now. They are coming in with the socialism that has destroyed my nation and others. And then lastly, there's a woman from China who we always publish onto the underground page. She herself has said the same thing continually over and over again. As being a Christian growing up in China, she's in her 50s and 60s now. She's watched the revolution come in and continue to make lies and break it. And even though they have a prosperity on the outside, she's seen the oppression on the inside as the Christians are continually locked up and religious minorities are are put into jails. And she has said, this is exactly what is happening here. And yet somehow we think we're smarter, you know, the, the, the woke people think they're smarter than the Christians who have lived through the Cuban crisis, through the, you know, the Chinese crises, and, and through the different revolutions of their countries. We now think that we're smarter, those people here, these teenagers, these young adults wearing Che Guevara shirts, marching down our city, think they're smarter than those who actually lived under Che Guevara. Isn't that sad? And so we need to wake up. But we watched that here. And then number 10, I believe we watched the stealing of a presidential election. And I want to still see that get overturned. And I'm not giving up, y'all, okay? I want to see what God has in store. But this is unheard of, that at the last minute that state officials began to change so many laws in regards to vo- uh, mail-in voting and signature checks and all of these things so that at a certain time all of the uh, uh, votes needed to defeat the you know, incumbent president would be found and be ready. Now, you may say, Pastor, you're going a little bit too far there. But listen, this has never happened in American history. If you can go, listen, if you can go to the grocery store, mass, social distance, you should have been able to go to vote. Only a certain few should have not been able to vote. You know, if you're overseas or if you're you're handicapped or you're disabled, et cetera, right? But the majority of Americans should have been able to vote, and that should have been the vote we counted. Now we'll forever wonder, and by the way, the same person that I was talking about that I just met this week, her father came from Cuba, he said, if this election is not overturned, I'll never vote again. This is a fake election. I don't know how fake it is, a lot of people do, but just to give you an example, people who have lived through fake elections, their their spiritual discernment, Christian men and women, this is a Christian leader, he's been a Christian for many, many years, are all saying something is not right, the changes are not right, this all points towards what we have seen before. And then as a bonus, everybody say Bonus. The bonus one extra, scroll on down, making it fun for you. Preparing for the mark of the beast. This idea of a vaccine that is so just glorified in the media, so just adorned with so much propaganda, just makes you wonder how much more gullible will we be to the mark of the beast? Now, there are some of you who have studied this and see that there's an ingredient in there that's named after Lucifer and other things, and may think this is literally the mark of the beast, but I would challenge you to think of the mark of the beast being a little bit more complex, and the reason is the mark of the beast involves a denial of Christ and acceptance of a world religion. And so people have asked me before, what about a chip? If I receive a chip, you know, maybe in the military they might give those to the, to the soldiers now to keep track of them. Is that the mark of the beast? I've always said this. You will not take it by accident. The mark of the beast is a purposeful alignment to a one world government and the one world leader and denying Christ as your Lord. Once again... That's up to you how you see the mark of the beast. But I just wanted to share with you how I see it. And then when it comes to vaccines, honestly, some think that there is something nefarious going on with it. I personally am not an anti-vacciner, and I know some people will be taking it because of their jobs and different things. I leave that between you and the Lord. Obviously, that's where it belongs. It's not my business. Amen. But I'm not getting a vaccine. I have not gotten vaccines. I live and die based on herd immunity and maybe something like smallpox or something that's more serious. Maybe I would consider it then. But something that was wrong rushed out within a year that normally takes three to five years over something that has a 99.95 survival rate, that's not for me, baby, okay? Okay? But for those of you who need to take it for your jobs, that's a prayer you have to pray to keep that job. There is no judgment coming from this pulpit, maybe from your neighbor. You guys can work that out. Let us know if you need some mediation. But between us, that's between you and the Lord. But here's what I think is being prepared through this vaccine that has been almost to the point of worship, that has had so much propaganda around it, it can show us that now the components of the mark of the beast are here. Because remember, for a mark of the beast to happen in... 2000, uh, 2,000 years ago in 100 AD when the book of Revelation was happened, it would have taken our technology to be there, and it wasn't, so it would have been impossible. For example, how at 100 AD can you forbid somebody buy a mark, which to them would just been like a tattoo, you know, marking 666, that's all about they could do to mark you. How could you forbid somebody from buying or selling? Really back then, 100 years ago. You, you really couldn't. Now, you could say, like, in Rome, you can't buy or sell because we're going to check this. But how many know you could just go run up into the mountains somewhere and just go buy and sell whatever you wanted there with other people in the mountains? But what do we now have? We now have technology drones that can follow you everywhere. You can't go somewhere that they can't see. So if they want you not to buy or sell again, it doesn't matter. If you go to the Appalachian Mountains, they can make sure they find you. They can find you, number one. Number two, the digital imprint, now we all know this, this has been around for over 20 plus years, the digital imprint of a mark now exists that every data point of your life can be stored on something that could be at your forearm or uh, at the forehead. And now we understand the significance of that because of the little bit of skin and tissue that is there, easier for a scanner to read. Now you might say, Pastor, you're a little bit conspiratorial. I'm holding on to a book that's almost 2,000 years old, the New Testament, and it is true, proving to be true more and more every day. I don't consider that conspiracy. I consider that prophecy coming to pass. And then on top of that, you could have said, well, a one-world government, sure, maybe Rome. But honestly, without modern-day communication, how could a one-world government really control you from one place to the other? Information would travel so slow, and that's the reason why they couldn't keep these, these world empires really that big. You know, all of them had the, the the idea of world domination, the Greeks, the Persians, the Babylonians, the Chinese dynasties, you know, with Genghis Khan or whatever. But you just, you just can't do it. By the time you're communicating the next thing to the next thing, it, it just was impossible. Now, with modern-day communication, a one-world government with a mark that can control buying or selling and the threat of arrest or your children and your family dying is in front of us. So if you want to ask me what do I think we should prepare for next, It's the mark of the beast, the coming of the Antichrist, these kinds of scary things. But I believe God is going to be with us and protect us. Amen. And I do believe in the rapture that comes before these things are implemented, but I do think we should be ready for them. So here's how I would say uh, you can think of the mark of the beast. This is what I think about the mark of the beast. Take the spiritual worldview of Oprah, add to it the government control of Chinese socialism, which is doing facial recognition now, mix in the fear-mongering of mass Nazis with the blind trust in vaccines, and how many see that on people right now? Just that fear-mongering and then that mass Nazi spirit all over them, that blind trust so you mix in that mask not seeing with the blind trust and vaccines and deliver it with the technology that's able to track you wherever you go and control what you buy or sell, that's what I think the mark of the beast is. It requires you to submit to this one world government that has a worldview of religion and its leader being the supreme uh, deity in man or the form of man. The Antichrist will basically claim to be God with us. And once again, did did Pharaohs do that? Did the Caesars do that? Yes, but what's going to be unique about this is that he will have lying signs and wonders that will follow him that will be convincing to all of the spirits spiritual people, and to all the ones who are uh, pragmatic, they will for sure follow it because they'll say, well, it's for the greater good. If we all take the vaccine, it's for the greater good. If we all take the chip, it's for the greater good. If we submit to the world leader, it's for the greater good. And that's what I think the, the mark of the beast will be. Now, that's up to you how you guys see it. We can argue more about it in times at a different time. But how many believe that the mark of the beast is going to be something like that? Anybody agree with me? It's going to be something where it requires the bowing of the knee to this religion. To just lighten it up before I get into some application of the passage, I would like to share with you some of my favorite memes that God had us make in 2020 to describe how I feel about these things. This this is how I feel about these things. Uh, The first one that comes up is a lot of people thought about Christianity as a cruise ship. This year reminded us that Christianity is a what? A battleship. Come on. It's a battleship, baby. A lot of people got shook up, like, "Oh, what's going on, man?" Because you're not on a cruise ship, you're like wondering, "Where's the shrimp cocktail and all of this? Where, where's the, where's the, you know, the the Congo band or whatever they have on there? You know, to play the Caribbean music." No, my friend, this is a battleship. This is a battleship. How many got? Maybe even though you knew this, but you got a new reality of that this year. We're in a battle. And, and I love when pastors say things like, our church is a hospital. But listen, it's not just a hospital. It's a battleship that has a hospital. I love it when people say, our church has a, a kitchen, and we feed people and do all of these wonderful things. That's great. It has a kitchen on a battleship. <laughs> Amen. Once again, our church is about teaching. You know, word of faith, instructing. Wonderful. There are classrooms on a what? Battleship. That's where we are. Let's go to the next one that we made it this year. Some of you Christians thought you were like him, but now we all know you really like him. So so the Bible says open rebuke is better than hidden love, so I'm loving on some people today. This is my love for the body of Christ in many ways, and I want to applaud you who have been real Spartans. If you watch this movie, be careful because there's a little bit of an inappropriate scene, or maybe two But the idea is here in a nutshell. Here's the idea. 300 Spartans take on an entire army of a wicked nation, Persia, Xerxes, Darius, you know, that, that land that we even hear about in the Bible. And this person right here underneath, he himself is a Spartan, but he was born with disfigurements. And this is not to be against people with disfigurements because when he comes to the Spartans to say he wants to fight with them, they ask him to do what they're doing to protect each other because there's a certain formation they have to have to be as strong as they are. And the man's deformity this, uh, this uh, doesn't allow him to do it. But they say to him, there's still honor for you. There's still honor for you. Be on the battlefield with us. Carry off the dead. Take care of the needs of those of us who get injured, and you'll be with us in the battlefield. But this man doesn't want to do that. He then goes over to the enemy, and he betrays the Spartans. He then tells the enemy how the Spartans are formulating and what they're using to their advantage and shows them how to go around it to to take them. That's what he became. He became a traitor. And so I know, and listen to me, I know many of our friends still may be Christians in some ways, and they may disagree with us in other ways, but let's just be honest. When we needed many of them most, they were not willing to do what we needed to fight. This is what we said to them. Just fight with us. Okay, if you don't agree with everything, stay online for a little bit longer and then fight with us. Keep standing for the gospel. If maybe you're not ready to be where we're at preaching and teaching Jesus matters, then at least come to the Sunday services. Keep coming. Be a part of the thing. Don't go to other things to betray or to put down or to say, oh, you don't know the truth about Metro Praise. Stand with the soldiers of God. Amen? Let's go to the next one. Come on, somebody. Are you a mouse or a lion? From elder to deacon and from pastor to member, there are only two kinds of Christians at this time. Those who have boldness like a lion and those who are cowardly like a mouse. How many saw some, <laughs> how many saw some mousy people during this time? And they were just mousy, just little mouses. But then how many saw some lions? Roar! Come on, are there any lions and zion in the house? Let me hear you Roar! Honestly, honestly, just to be honest, when we started going through the things that we went through and all different kinds of things, people that I thought would stand next to me, people that would be lions of Zion, they became little mouses, <laughs> scurrying off. Where did they go? I don't know. <laughs> they scurried off somewhere. And then people that, we're not a clique as church, but we do honor leadership. You know, we honor those who have, who have put in the time to have these positions. But those who didn't even have those positions, those who nobody was looking at, like David's came up out of the woodwork and said, I'm here. Let's go. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God for you. I'm talking about you guys here today. Most of you did not have titles and positions in the church, but when it was time for you to stand, you became lions of Zion. You stood for the things of the Lord. And this is what I would say even to our detractors. If they go, Pastor, okay, let's just think about it. Every generation has had its wild times, and always the, uh, you know, the end-time apocalyptic preachers always say, Jesus is coming back. Get ready, get ready. You know, they did that in Wesleyan's day, and then, it goes on for a few hundred more years. They did that in Spurgeon's day. It goes on for hundreds of years. You know, Pastor, we just think this is all gonna pass away and you guys will be gone down in history as the apocalyptic, overreacting, conspiratorial Christians. Even if that is true, we had more courage than you. <laughs> Even if that is true, we had more courage than you. Because if this is not the apocalypse, it was a test. We get an A. At least we were ready for it. If you fail during the conspiracy apocalypse, what are you going to do during the real apocalypse? How many thought at different times you might die? I really thought I might die with COVID. I might die at a riot. And I was still like, I'm going to serve Jesus. I can't tell you how invigorating that is. Because if you and I were willing to face what we thought, what we thought was real death, we'll face it again if it's real. We won't run from it. That's, I, like I said, if it's the worst case scenario, and 300 years from now they're talking about these crazy Christians who live during the 2020 year, okay, well, at least when it was our time, when we thought, when we thought this could be it, we were like, we're standing for Jesus. Amen. Go to the next one, please. Come on, saints. <laughs> this is what preachers look like when they say what the Bible says, but preachers, what they look like when they say what the culture affirms. This is where it gets a little bit messy, but we got to say it. How many kind of felt that some pastors put on the bow this year? They put on the red bow. They didn't have the courage. I mean, I'm looking at some of these preachers, and I'm like, man, you were the one I was looking up to. You're the one that has all the answers. You're the one that preaches on healing. You're the one that preaches on faith. I'm a little nobody compared to you, but where's your preach now, preacher? Just saying what everybody else says. You can be a keyboard warrior if you want. You can be hiding behind a pulpit, but it takes a line of Zion to get out there and do it. And once again, I've seen church members be more bold, more courageous than their own pastors, their own leaders. Because like with David, God is not looking on the outside. God is looking to the inside. Amen. Let's keep going. Most Christians right now, let me know when I can come out. Hello, mayor. Let me know when I can come out. Just tap me. I'll be ready. (laughs) This, you know, <laughs> hey, guys, let me know when I can come out. Let me know when I can do whatever they let me do again, do the things I can do again. And how many know we have compassion for them? Because this is not the way God called us to live. God did not call us to dig our head in the sand. I mean, all the songs of the past that talk about the power of the blood and how we have authority in Jesus' name, we're supposed to bring that message everywhere. I was talking to one of my friends who never shut down during COVID, and he's a missionary to the streets of New Orleans, predominantly with the homeless in inner city, and I asked him, I said, because at that point, you no, know, first couple of weeks, we didn't even know. Maybe it was going to be as bad as influenza. Maybe it was going to take out 10% of the population, 20%. I mean, we didn't know, and I'm like, brother, I mean, there's a risk here. What are you doing? And he said, brother, when the missionaries would go overseas, they all knew there was risk. None of them at that time, in the times he's talking about, had the, had any kind of vaccines or shots. They would go over there because they believed that living for Christ was worth dying for. And that those that they were reaching did not have Christ yet. And so to stand up for Jesus, even in the face of disease, persecution, possibility of death, was worth it to them. He said, that's what the church is called to do. He said, I have to preach to those on the streets, to the homeless, and keep giving them the message. Because if something were to happen to me, I know where I go when I die. I go to heaven to be with Jesus, but they don't know Jesus. And how many are thankful that we did baptisms this year, and there are people who will remember 2020 as the year they got saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, set on fire, and water baptized. Amen. Let's go to the last one. Here's lukewarm privilege. How many saw some lukewarm privilege this year? Because they were all, you know, everybody was talking about white privilege and all of these things, you you know. But how many saw some lukewarm privilege? Here's lukewarm privilege, wimp privilege, as my brother would say. Avoid persecution by simply saying you're not like the Christians being persecuted. So when everything's going on, when everything's going bad, go to those churches that are getting persecuted and let all your friends know by virtue signaling you're not like them. I disagree with them. Even though I'm a Christian, I don't see things the way they do. That's, that's lukewarm privilege. Letting all of your, your unsaved friends and family know you're not with them. Okay, number two, be loved and accepted by the world because they think you're just like them but just a little bit more spiritual. We like you. We like you because you're so different than them. You're like us. Anytime the world says, I like you because you're like us, you in the wrong spiritual state, baby. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. The world should not be coming to you going, we love you because you're so much like us. Number three, pretend you're being wise when you're really being a coward. This is just wisdom. But then get offended when the Christians who are suffering call out your cowardice. Now we're offended. We're offended that you're upset about our cowardice. Number four, keep your worldly reputation in place while you let your Christian friends be dragged through the mud. I love what one person said, and it's, this is a boast for the Lord, but I love what one person said about Juan's situation. Even if he was wrong, I would still stand with him because I'm not ashamed of the gospel he preaches or the character he's lived by. Even if he was wrong, I would stand by him and say, he doesn't deserve this. But we go one step further than that. Not only was he not wrong, not only are we saying that we're not ashamed of him, we are proud of him. We exalt the testimony of God in his lives and we say, oh, to God that we would have the same courage to do what he did when the time was there as long as with his brother. We oftentimes think our worldly reputation is more important than the gospel, and that's not how the gospel works. The gospel is worth you losing your reputation over. It's worth me losing some Google reviews over, amen? Number five, and it's worth us losing some friends and family over. That's where we draw the line. That's where we draw the line. Number five, make everything about you, your feelings, and ignore what is happening to those who are standing up for the gospel, there was a time, in all honesty, that we did not know what to do with the COVID thing. I mean, no, no church has really dealt with it before. I didn't know to call someone else that said, yeah, I dealt with this 20 years ago, so here's what we did. No, my mentors were going through it at the same pace we were going through it. But there was a word that came to me at a point in the church when I saw the Elam Romanian church open up their doors. And many of the leaders here will tell you, I started weeping and I said, I am not going to let a Romanian Christian in America stand by himself as he he comes into the, open his church up and he comes into this lawsuit. We will stand with Christians. Even if we don't agree with everything, we're going to stand with Christians, All of these unity talks, all of these unity dinners, these celebration of churches doing all these things, very few stood with each other when it came to this. But I am thankful for those who have stood with us. I never want us to feel like we're the only ones. There's been many Christians and many churches, even in the city, who uh, did not have the spotlight, but were standing with us. And that's what I thought about, just from being, for being honest, from the beginning, is I never thought we would have the spotlight. And then when we started having it, I was like, wow, this is a testimony God's going to use us. And then that spotlight kept getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And I'm like, maybe we don't need a spotlight anymore, you know. Maybe you guys just stop thinking about us. At first, I was like, it's cool. They're going to interview me, you know. Then I was like, nah, I don't know if it's cool they're interviewing me anymore. Maybe you can stop interviewing me. No, I'm kidding. But now I'm like, well, now they know where we stand. Here we are. Is there any more? That was it. Let's give it up for what Jesus did this year. <laughs> let's go back to the passage, please. Going to the passage. Let's make it applicable. Whatever things were gained to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Are you willing to do that this year? Are you willing to consider everything except Christ and his kingdom, Christ and his best for your your life as a loss? If it is not Christ's best, you don't want it. Even if it comes shiny, even if it comes with approval, even if it looks good, if it's not Christ and his kingdom, if it's not God's will, you're going to suffer loss. I'm willing to do that, congregation. Let's continue to do that. As we look to Paul as the example, he says, "I have lost all things; I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ." How many know the King James word there for garbage? What's the King King James dung? How many know the English version of that word? (laughs) It's the stuff we were talking about a few weeks ago. It's the excrement of animals. That's literally the word. I'm just being honest with you, not trying to be edgy. I'm just telling you what it says. The NIV cleans it up a little bit, polishes it up, says it's garbage. But that is not even as strong as Paul is saying it. Paul is saying, I count everything aside aside from Christ as dung. And that's what it has to become to us. We cannot look at Juan and his family and go, oh, man, I feel so sorry for you. Even as a Christian, I feel so sorry for you that you had to give that up for Jesus. I just wish that that didn't happen. No, what does the Bible say we do in persecution? Rejoice. We rejoice that we are suffering as Christ and the prophets did, for great is our reward in heaven. This brother now has a reward that those of us who got to keep our jobs do not get. He gets a reward for giving his occupation up for Jesus, and we should not pity that. We should be applauding that because he has counted it as garbage, as great as those accolades were, having his own Nike shoe released, as, as great as it was designing things with the Chicago Fire you know, professional soccer team, as great as it was that Con, uh, or a Chance the Rapper and others were you know, talking about him and D. Rose was wearing his clothes and all of that. Okay, that's wonderful for what it was because that's what he thought God wanted him to do. But when God said it's those things or me, He said, I take Jesus every time. And those things instantly became dung in the sight of Christ. And all of our things become dung in the sight of Christ unless it's God's will at that moment. Even even the things that we may think now are important, God can say, this is not the thing I want you to have now. This is what I want you to do for me, and we have to be willing to do it, and we do it by faith. We don't do it by work. So those of you who may even been like me at certain times, scared, unsure, that's okay. That's part of the process. We don't want to remain there, but in our fears, in our doubts, in our weaknesses, we ask God to strengthen our faith. Because this is by faith. It's not by our works. It's not like, um, you know, I woke up in the morning and I said, I'm going to muster up all this strength to go face the reporters or a riot or whatever. It's it's not in us. The strength is not in us. But greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Amen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Those are the scriptures we hold on to because it's by grace through faith that we're righteous and that we live holy and that we give our hearts to God. And whatever comes, we're going to stand in his will. One of the martyrs, as they were getting ready to die, uh, talking about uh, 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 Polycarp. No, it wasn't Polycarp. It was, um, no, it was Polycarp. Look up this quote for me. um, Tony, look up this quote for me. He has been faithful to me for 80 years. How can I deny him now? They put a church father, we'll say for right now. I believe it was Polycarp. How, was it Polycarp? I think it was. Thank you. He's just going to confirm it for me. They put an old man before the courts, and he's a disciple of John the Apostle. And they put him before the courts of Rome, and they say, Old man, just deny Christ. We'll let you go. We don't want to have to kill you. We don't want this to be a bloody mess of an old man. Just go about your ways. And he said back to his persecutors, he said, Christ has been good to me for 80 years. How can I deny him now? My friends, if God has shown himself faithful, through all the seasons of our lives. Why would we deny him in our times of persecution, in our times of suffering, in our times of pandemic, if that's a real thing, you know? Why would we forsake him now? Stand in faith, amen? Keep the faith. Somebody say, keep the faith. Was it Polycarp? Amen, thank you. Let's keep going through the passage. He said, I want to know Christ. Somebody say, I want to know Christ. Amen. He said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and what? Participation in his sufferings. So do we have a sadistic death wish? Like we're just going to take pleasure in in death and, and punishment and these kinds of wicked things. No, we do not take pleasure in the pain itself, but we rejoice in God during the pain because we know that the pain is going to have a reward in the end. So we're not saying, hey, keep persecuting me. I have a death wish. You know, keep messing with us. I want to get tortured. Take my family. I want my kids to die. No, what we're saying is to God be the glory. And if I should die, I will die for Christ. And if I should get sick, I'll get sick for Christ. I'll stand for Christ. I will not back down. For Christ, all things belong. For Christ, all my good days and my bad days. And we know Christ doesn't send sickness. We know Christ doesn't send the persecution. But we know that for whatever reason, according to his sovereignty, he has allowed the sin and the evil of this world to maintain his justice. What I mean by justice is it's not the justice we're thinking about, just always uh, helping the good. It's also sometimes punishing the bad. And we have to endure it with the evil. Jeremiah had to endure the punishment on Jerusalem with the evil generation. But I do believe God protects us. I do believe we can pray for grace and mercy. And I do believe we can rebuke sickness and disease and poverty and those things. If you're putting us in jail like Joseph, we're going to be the best slave up in Potiphar's house. You know, if you put us as a slave, we're going to be the best slave. you put us in jail, we're going to be the best prisoner. Amen? We're going to plant rice in that thing. We're going to multiply in Jesus' name until you take our life from us. And then Paul says this, the resurrection of the dead is what he wanted to obtain because he knew that Christ had resurrected. He had met the resurrected Christ, and he knew that this body was soon going to pass, and so he wanted to have the goal of the resurrected body to be like Christ for all of eternity. But he said he hadn't achieved it yet. He hadn't gone through that process of being glorified in the presence of the Lord. And then he says, since I haven't taken hold of it, this is what I do. I forget what is behind and I strain or I push forward, strive towards what is ahead. How many know that's what we got to do this year? We're not forgetting the testimonies. We're not forgetting the good that God has done. But what we're doing is we're forgetting the evil. We're forgetting that the pain in the past, we're forgetting the pain because the pain in the past does not define our future. We're forgetting the rejection. We're not carrying around bitterness. That's the one thing I've prayed to the Lord. Lord, in my rebuke, in my open love, you know, because the Bible says, you know, uh, uh, open rebuke is better than hidden love. So, Lord, as I'm loving everybody, oh, God, guard my heart from bitterness. Guard my heart from, you know, offense and these kinds of things. So we forget those who have left us and the pain that they've caused us. We forget the the, the betrayal of government and of society. We put that behind us, and we now look forward to what is ahead, which is more friends, more souls being saved, more of God's kingdom on this earth, and certainly we want those people that were forgetting about the evil they did in the past, we want them now to come with us in the future. So I see this church filled with those who have even left or from from other uh, situations that maybe mocked us coming here, repenting and getting right with God. Wouldn't that be a day of celebration? How many of you would love to see that? To see a lot of the people who we've talked about come and say, yeah, I have to repent. We would embrace them. We would welcome them. Or some of the churches that we see wearing the bows, like the cowardly lion, roaring, opening up their churches. Amen. As I was driving by today, I saw a church, you know, having service. And I was like, yes, come on, let's keep doing this together. So we forget what is behind, we strain towards what is ahead, we press towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called us heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us have to get our prize. This is where when I'm done preaching, right, in like 20 minutes and I set down this mic, I'm doing the exact same thing you're doing. The only difference between you and I in this situation is I'm just encouraging you to do it. But all of us can encourage each other to do it. What if God told me to stop preaching for two months and have Marco, one of our Bible college students, preach for the next two months? Would I sit and listen to the word of God? Of course. The word of God was here before me. The word of God's going to be here after me. It doesn't matter if my brother's preaching it, my sister's preaching it. Let's give it up for Jackie. It was her first time doing transition today. God bless you. We love you. We love you so much. And that's what we want. We want to raise up world changers, history makers, roof breakers in the house of God. And we all want to achieve the prize. You know, I, I've told you guys testimonies, and I don't mean to say this to, to brag, but just to, I, I say these testimonies to uplift God's holiness because we live in a time where holiness is now a thing of the past. They have just discovered that Ravi Zacharias, the number one Christian apologist, the accusations of sexually abusing women is true. And now he has passed away, and the integrity of that ministry has been marred. And you know what grieves my heart more than any, anything else is the, the abuse to these people who thought that a Christian man would do such a thing. That just grieves my heart. A Christian man would never do such a thing to a woman. A Christian man would never do that. And so now we see our heroes again falling. And we look at this with broken hearts, not rejoicing, but we look at it with broken hearts. And we say, how can we become stronger in the things of God as a church? How can we become stronger as a capital C church in the city? And that's through our accountability. That's through our discipleship. And so I say this not to boast anything but the Lord, but I say this as a testimony. In discipleship, you and I and everyone else who wants to live holy will live holy until you meet Jesus. I have seen Jesus be faithful to me and his call of holiness for the last 20 years and we don't have to set down the banner of holiness God is faithful last time I looked at pornography was 1996 praise God these kinds of things should be commonplace to the Christian you should be able to come to church and hear testimonies of holiness I'm so tired of pastors saying I'm broken like you, I'm sinful like you, I'm wicked like you. That's not what it says. It says all of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. If you are different on those things, God's going to clear it up. Only let us live up to what we've already obtained. Live up to the standard. Join together in following my examples, brothers and sisters, just as you have us as a model Keep your eyes on those who live as we do. I'm tired of people saying, don't look up to me. That is a devil's lie. That does not come from the scriptures. If I am holding this microphone today, I should be able to say, look up to me in the walk of holiness. I should be able to say, I don't swear. I don't cuss. I don't chew tobacco or hang with those who do. I should be able to say that God has kept me, that my marriage is healthy and holy. I just talked to one of my best friend's wives who said the husband you know, had, came on tough times financially, then started you know, doing other things to make money and was disappearing from the home. Eventually, uh, she didn't know where he was at and found out he was on drugs. Now he's in a drug rehab. Pastor for over 20 years, he himself had used to lead drug rehabs. And I said to her, I said, I don't blame you in any way, but I want you to listen to me. Every time I was rebuking and correcting your husband, he ran to you and you defended him. If he comes back, let us as men into his life. Give him accountability. Stop guarding him from sin. And I wasn't upset with there, but I'm upset with the devil. You hear my heart. Because he would always say, well, my wife says I'm doing good. My wife says this. My wife says this. And I'm like, your wife is not a man. I know what men go through. And I know that you're not looking me in the eyes. You're not speaking to me with integrity and dignity, and I find fault with you. I want to be accountable just like that. Don't ever, men in this church especially, don't ever accept me without accountability. Never accept me without accountability. If I cannot look Andrew in the eyes at any given moment and give an account to my private life, to my marriage life, if I cannot look John in the eyes, Juan in the eyes, if I cannot look you in the eyes and give an account of my life, do not follow me. But until then, follow me as an example of integrity, of honesty, of someone who's, who's going after God with everything. In 20-plus years, he has not let me down yet. He has kept me. And I don't, I can just tell you this, speaking now specifically to men, I do not lack anything. <laughs> Hallelujah. I don't lack anything. I'll just say it like that. God has been good to me. The Bible then goes on to teach us that there are people who go astray. And the god that they serve is the god of their stomach, and I love Paul's example here. It's so inspired because we know that when we eat, it always feels good. Like when we're eating what we like, like during Christmas, we eat what we like. Have you checked the scale yet? <laughs> <laughs> I went on the scale this morning. I was like, "Whoa! How am I going to make it through New Year's? How am I? I only got four days to get ready." I'm not even close to this. I'm not even close to ready. I'm already five over right now. I got to drop that five to get ready to eat another five. What am I going to do? I'm trying to think, like, can I ride my bike in this? Can I go back to the gym that told me I had to wear a mask? Maybe just apologize to them because we had a little argument, and I had like, canceled my membership. Now I'm going to go back and apologize. We'll say, okay, hey, can you let me in here? I got four days to lose five to get ready for this thing. But that's what that's what he says their god is their stomach and they glory in their shame instead of being ashamed of shame they glory in shame like I was talking about with the woman who who did uh you know was an actress from Juno. She now came out as a man, a transgendered man. And what is she saying? Oh, thank you for the millions. Listen to this, millions of supporters. Those who have liked and shared my post about my transgender identity. Thank you. I couldn't do this without you. And I feel so much compassion for her because I do want to help her, but in a different way. But notice how they glory in the shame. They glory in the shame. And that's what the Bible says you do when you're a sinner. A pig doesn't know the difference between mud or being in your house. You know, you put a pig where it's wherever you want, the pig is going to go back to what it knows. It's just not going to say, well, I'm I'm in the house now. I'm not going to act like a pig anymore. A pig will be a pig as a pig, and it's going to find its way back. That pig is going to find its way right back to the mud. And the Bible says that's what backsliders are like, dogs returning to vomit, pigs back to the mud. And that's Peter speaking, an apostle of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not meant to be a cheap insult. It's meant to be a rebuke to us. Let us not go back to the garbage of this world. Amen? We're waiting for Jesus. He controls everything. He controls the seasons. He controls who's going to be president three months from now. And if it's a part of his judgment or a part of his spiritual spanking for us, we have to be ready to go through whatever God has intended for us. Amen? But I'm still believing for his best. As we go now into chapter four, as we scroll down, we see that he is now pleading with people to get along in the church. And so I would like to ask that whatever faults you may have with someone else, get over it this year in Jesus' name. Amen? you got four days to leave that thing in 2020 because we don't want it in 2021. Amen? Take care of all that mess because we don't want it in 2021. Make up. Do what you have to do. Matthew 18, that thing. We do Matthew 18 here. We do our own Judge Judy here. Here's Judge Judy right there. Sister Lauren, give it up for Judge Judy. Hallelujah. She'll be your problem solver real quick. She will lay it down real quick. She will be the Solomon to your problem. I'm telling you, we don't, we don't mind taking time out of that because we don't want it festering. We don't want any offenses, any issues you may have. One time I preached this wonderful message by God's grace about offense and forgiving everyone who's offended you and opening up your heart and restoring them, you know, just kind of like I'm doing now. And I said, you know what? We're just going to have our leaders up here, and if any of our leaders have offended you, come to these leaders. If there's anybody in the congregation, come to them, and may God bless you, and you're dismissed, you know, basically. And then all of a sudden, I saw a line <laughs> right here running right down the middle, and I'm like, me? I'm like, I wasn't the one that was going to go down there to do this, but it's me so I stepped down there and it was like next okay Forg-, you know and in one sense you know please forgive me if I've offended you in another sense I want to say get over it Uh, But we do even have a way, if I offend you, by the way, she will judge on your behalf. Go to one of our leaders if you feel that I've done you wrong, because we believe that out of uh, two or three witnesses, an elder can be judged as well. And so if you need an advocate here in this church, you have an advocate, because I don't ever want to be above discipline, because if you have a story of something being done to you, we want people here to believe you, amen? And then we'll test it, and then see whether or not you are true. But we'll, we'll take you at your word enough to have the investigation, and then to have the meeting. And then after that, we'll make a decision. Amen. Okay. Somebody say rejoice in the Lord always. Amen. Amen. Vinny, would you come quickly, please? We have to decide if you haven't already, but I'm sure many of us have learned this, but we have to decide in 2021 to not rejoice in our circumstances, but to rejoice in our God. We rejoice in who our God is. Our God is good. The news may be bad, but our God is good. The economy may be suffering, but God is good. We learn to rejoice in the Lord always, and by doing that mentally, we relieve ourselves of the stress and of the pressures of this world because our release valve is praise to God. When we sing that song that praise is my weapon, that is so true. Praise is your weapon against the attacks of the enemy. You and I need to praise God in all situations during this time, knowing that God is close to us spiritually and close in coming. And so don't let anxiety cloud your mind or your judgment. I know during this year that anxiety clouded some of my judgments. And I am thankful for a church of leaders and friends who said, Joe, don't be afraid to stand or hear a word from the Lord. We're with you. You're not sinning, but let's figure out the direction. Amen. We don't come to God with, with uh, our ways of doing things. That's what makes us anxious. Well, God, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? We come to God with trust and present to him our situations. He wants to hear it from us, and we present it to him with thanksgiving, going, God, I know you're still good even in the midst of this. And then what does the Bible say? The peace of God, which transcends our understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. How many of you have seen the peace of God? transcends your understanding this year you and I should not be in our sound minds but we are we should be afraid according to the world to come into this church every time because we don't have masks on we should be afraid of, of losing our jobs but we're still tithing and being generous in our giving we as a church shouldn't be thinking about expanding but we always have that on our mind We, in the worldly sense, should be afraid of what tomorrow holds. But here we are in the peace of God, rejoicing in the things of the Lord. And I pray that that testimony will change others' lives. And I've said this all along. I can't wait to see what happens in this city when they take down those those restrictions. Because so many of you visitors who have friends and families that are afraid to come to church, I believe they're going to come with you during that time. And they're going to talk to you and be honest and say, you know what? I was a little scared, but I'm glad you kept praying for me. I'm glad you kept inviting me. I'm here now. And you know what? If it happens again, I'm going to stand. I'll be strong, you know? And then he says this to us, that I think we all uh, can repeat every day as a scripture. I've committed this to memory. It's such a powerful thing that we run our thoughts through the filter of God's Word, that whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, that's what we think about. And we don't allow our minds to race. Just, you know, all the things of this world can get your mind to race. Just as an example, you're already probably so many of you thinking, well, what about the vaccine? What about the vaccine? Well, what if I had to take the vaccine? Well, what if my job required? And your mind just starts racing. Just relax and trust God. Amen? If you're going to go hunger games and run away from this thing and go live in the woods and learn how to shoot a bow and arrow because they're forcing you to take a vaccine, you're going to be all right. You're going to learn how to eat deer. You're going to learn how to live in the country. You're going to be fine. Others of you who are going to take it, even if it was meant to harm you, listen, what does the Bible say? The Bible says, no deadly thing shall have its way against you, even if you drink poison, it shall not harm you. So for some of you who may be in a place where you're just like, man, I'm still called to be a nurse. I I don't want to take this thing, but I'm called to be a nurse. God, I don't feel like I'm denying you. I know who you are, so I'm not worshiping an antichrist figure. And Lord, if I had, you know, by the way, you know what they did to Daniel and his friends in Babylon? They castrated them boys. So it was either we castrate you or we kill you. Most of them had to become eunuchs to be in Babylon. But they said, you know what? Even if we don't get married and have children, we're doing this for our nation to continue. And so I'm just telling you, there are times that you may do things to survive that may not be God's best, but God's going to use it for His glory. And so at those times, if hey, if taking the vaccine is something you're going to have to face, I would say be at ease, be at peace, and if there's anything harmful in there, may God protect you and keep you safe. Because if you drink any deadly poison, it shall not harm you, the Bible says. That's a scripture for you, amen? I'm not taking it if I don't have to. And then if I have to, I'm going to say, hold me down, okay? But but I'm serious, but I don't want to. Are you guys with me? But I know living in this wicked world, I may have to make decisions before I run away to the woods. There's a few decisions that I have to make before. (laughs) Like, Pastor, when would you go to the commune and live in the cornfields of Indiana? There would have to be a few lines to cross that they haven't crossed yet. But I'm just telling you, saints, We've got to think on the things of God. Don't be afraid of a vaccine. Don't be afraid of losing your job. Don't be afraid of persecution. God's going to take care of you. And then lastly, and I say this now in all glory to our apostles that God used, all glory to God in the apostles rather, whatever we've learned from them, whatever we've received from them, whatever we've heard from them, let's put it into practice this year. And the God of peace will be with us. Amen. Let's give it up for Jesus. Saints, God bless you. Can we all stand up together? and altar workers would you come please <laughs> oh thank you Jesus Lord we thank you that today we stand in the land of the living we stand as lights in a darkened world shining for you I pray Lord that you make us your people and give us the strength to do what you've called us to do Whatever things you need to leave behind in 2020, would you do it right now and say, Jesus, help me leave it behind. Jesus, help me leave behind rejection. Help me leave behind hurt. Help me leave behind fear, oh God. In the name of Jesus, as as you're led, you can feel free to come up to these prayer workers. We'll close in worship. But as I'm praying right now, saints, come on, let's look at our lives. If you've never known Jesus, leave behind your life as a sinner and confess Jesus is Lord right now. Say, Jesus, save me. Come into my life. Be the Lord and boss of everything I do. God, I leave behind the hurt, the rejection, the betrayal. God, I leave behind the fears, the anxiety, the worries, oh God. Jesus, I just want you. I see the goal in front of me. I see the goal. As you're leaving things behind, start to look towards the goal. I see the goal of all the things you have for me to do to be a husband to my wife, to be a father to my children, to be a man of God to this culture, to be a leader in this church. Oh, God, use us as your servants. Pour out your spirit. Pour out your blessings. Give us peace beyond our understanding. God, our minds. God, our hearts. Mind. Mind. yes yes Jesus me we receive it for beyond 2021 just a few more times saints before give we go me give me peace beyond, beyond my understanding my guard our hearts Yeah.